Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. Hi, I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, how are you today? Adam, I'm living my best life. Ooh. Oh, are you really? In Jesus ooh. Christ. Oh, okay. <laughs> Surprise, Jesus Juke ending. <laughs> living my best life. That's awesome. Hey, speaking of living your truth, Adam, how are you today? I feel wonderful. Do you really? You feel wonderful? Sure. Tis the season where a lot of people aren't feeling so great, That's Adam. true. So you're just showboating your health? Right now I am. (laughs) Well, on today's episode, we are going to talk about a little bit of the illnesses going around. Honestly, I want to be really sensitive. This is a very serious deal. There are literally thousands of people who have passed away and tens of thousands of people who have a virus. And and those who are more uh, tend towards anxiety, even here in Texas, where we're recording this, might uh, be feeling a sense of panic. We'll talk a little about the coronavirus. Then we're going to talk. uh, But first, we're going to start with a talk about Black History Month. This being February, the month we set aside every year to make sure there are stories about black history that do not get lost and ones that we have forgotten that get remembered. And then we'll conclude by talking a little bit about the consumerism and how technology has changed it. I'm really looking forward to this episode. So without further ado, here we go. Well, it's February, which means it is Black History Month, which uh, means there are a lot of stories in the news, a lot of uh, television shows, movies, even music that is centered around this concept of remembering the history of African-Americans on this continent and what that means here in this nation. So uh, it being Black History Month, let's just start um, talking about it maybe in your churches or maybe your individual lives. Elizabeth, Adam, what changes this month for you guys or what what, uh, excites you about Black History Month? Why are you glad we have it? Start me off. What do you think? Well, obviously, for me, if you haven't looked at a picture of me, <laughs> Black History Month is personal. I'm black. You can laugh. If you're uncomfortable, you can laugh at that joke. Um, and so I think it is an opportunity for my people to have the history and contributions brought forward in our American culture. African Americans are a part of America from its roots and have helped to build this country, have helped to contribute to culture in significant ways. And just unfortunately, that's not talked about a lot, especially sometimes in the classroom. And so it provides an opportunity for us to recognize people, just to remember and celebrate the beauty of African-American culture and to normalize that for American just American culture overall. And so it's a beautiful month. It's a beautiful month full of color and food and music and art and culture and just all the things that are wonderful about African-American culture that we invite everyone to participate in and to celebrate. Because it's just, again, African-American history is American history. Yeah, that's right. Um, And just bringing that to the forefront for everyone. Yeah. What comes to mind for you, Adam, when you think about Black History Month? Yeah. uh, Very similar to Elizabeth. I think um, it's a time where, you know, you get to highlight uh, the specific contributions that African-Americans have made to this country. And, you know, if you're you're somebody who likes history, I'm just talking about like simple things you can do. But if you're someone who likes history, it can be a time where you go, oh, man, during this month, I'm going to maybe research something I've never really 
something new about African American yeah. history. You know, um, you know, I, I like to try to take it to uh, take the month and, and pick like a theologian or somebody like that and just spend some time. You know, just trying yeah. to personally uh, get to know more about um, the African American contribution either to American history or more specific things like theology or pick some other discipline. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, church and family. Um, it's a great time to sort of start introducing. I have three little kids to sort of start introducing them to concepts and a familiarity with uh, the idea that there are people from all different walks of life around us, and it's important to um, to get to know about them, uh, especially if we're going to love one another like uh, Christ loves us, to sort of enter into spaces that maybe are just outside the norm for you, yeah. you know, and learn more about them. So That's good. I, I do... I. I am a history major. That was my history in college. I'm not currently a history major. I was a history major. And I get really into the the local history of our city mm-hmm. and African-American history, black history in particular in Dallas. I get, man, I'll get stuck in a rabbit hole of following this stuff. Even today, people know this about me and they were emailing me stories. This morning, I got a story about a cemetery that's not far from my home. That was where a lot of freedmen towns had their cemetery, which is a freedman town is freed slaves that own their own property that still stayed around the city. And they had a cemetery where there was this very wealthy part of town. It's where they buried their pets, and their pets had very large and intricate uh, tombstones. And then there was very small and humble tombstones for those who were, at the time they called it, uh, colored people were allowed to bury their humans there, and then rich people would bury their pets there. And that kind of stuff where you can still go and see it. And then you, you recognize this, you're reminded of it, but as you study the history of our city, you see that highways were planned on places where it was typically yeah. not the white and not the wealthy that who gave up their neighborhoods in order to build the current highways that I drove in order to get here today. Mm. In fact, if you go to the African American History Museum in Dallas, in Fair Park, it'll show you some of these graves that were literally uh, paved over, had to be rescued and removed because they were driving this 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 highway was going to go right through where this Freedman Town Cemetery was at the time. And there's a neighborhood near me. It was called Little Egypt up until the 60s, and it was called Little Egypt. It was a freedman's town where it was uh, a group of freed slaves had bought this property, lived on this property, but the city had refused to install utilities. There was no water, there was no garbage pickup, and therefore it became a slum, and the houses were not well kept up. And so eventually in the 60s, it was sold, and now it's this beautiful like retail shop and, and these big apartments. But for the longest time, it was black-owned property in this community, but because of the uh, disparity between uh, the rights or the privileges that those people received, they eventually had to sell that property because they weren't. the city refused to incorporate, refused to make it part of the city, take care of it. I get in these kind of these tailspins because this is where I live. You know, right. it's not like I'm studying something far away. No, it's right here. Exactly right. Black History Month is not just about, hey, what did Martin Luther King Jr. say sure. in his I Have a Dream speech, although that is certainly important. It's not just about the civil rights movement. It's not even just about slavery. What Black History is about is about where we live right now, what contribution did African Americans make to the world that we live in now, or what injustices are we less aware of because we've literally paved over it And because we pave over these things, they can easily be forgotten. Therefore, we have a Black History Month. Now, there are friends of mine that I've had, especially back in the day where I lived in another town, where I would hear white people say something like, hey, why do we have Black History Month? Why don't we have a White History Month? Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, what do you say to somebody who says, hey, why don't we have a White History Month? Because every month is White History Month. That's right. (laughs) So if you grow up going to school in America, you're not getting this like, oh, wait, there's white people here? 
<laughs> it's just like white culture is normalized. Yes. And so I think we tell stories. I think even that story about the highway and the cemetery in Dallas yeah. is something I learned when I came here. And it just changes the way you view everything's not a pretty picture. Yeah. And sometimes we become desensitized to hearing the same old, oh, why are we talking about race again? Why are we saying these things again? Because there's a whole history, there's a whole way people have been shaped there are, that we need to uncover to be able mm. to tell the true story and the full story of the cities we live in, even the communities and churches that we go to. Um, and it just is. It just, white culture is normative. Yeah. It's, it's nobody asks any questions, but Black History Month or Latino History Month or Women's History Month how do we bring people whose voices are not a part of the normal conversation to the forefront so we can know everybody's story? That's good. Yeah. yeah, and when you say normative, I think the, the example would be to a lot of uh, white people or people who lived in the majority culture, it seems like you should just do this the normal way. And what you don't realize is the normal way is, is only normal to you because you're the majority of the culture. There are people that do things differently, and that doesn't mean they do them wrong. So Elizabeth, if somebody were to ask you, hey, I do want to open up, I want to broaden my horizons. I want to learn more about African-American history, or I want to learn more about my own culture. What would you, is there things that you would say, hey, read this, watch this, listen to this, and maybe spend the month of February meditating on this? What would you recommend to somebody? Um, there are a lot of, even your city probably has some type of activity for Black History Month, whether it's a church a community center um, in Dallas. We have the African American History Museum. So if you have a lot, you're part of a larger city. You probably have some sort of African American History Museum, um, or the Dallas Holocaust Museum. They will have events, dances, like when you have special dance performances, because Black culture is full of a lot of life and celebration. Yeah. Um, go to a Black church and be able to celebrate culture there. Um, if you're wanting to read books, Langston Hughes, um, Alice Walker. Um, the Color Purple, one of my favorites. You think about Toni Morrison, who just passed. And so how do we just kind of walk in some of the legacy of the the uh, art that she created? I think about movies. There are just um, some, like Malcolm X is a great movie. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about just the history of civil rights in America. You have Martin Luther King and Malcolm X enter into that story. Um, I think about The Color Purple is a movie. I think about, let me... Selma, I saw that Selma. came out a couple years ago. I mean, some are fun. Like, Coming to America... Yeah. Like Love Jones, <laughs> Boys in the Hood, Do the Right Thing. Like Spike Lee has a lot of great movies. It just lets you get to be a part of black culture. If you really want to enter in, you can watch Roots. Mm. Great, great movie about just the history of slavery in our country and bringing some of the stuff to life. But there are so many opportunities, documentaries that you can stream on any of your streaming platforms for you to enter into black culture. This, this Those month. are great examples. I think it's not that hard to find authors to find directors, to find musicians, or even to find, uh, I, I, one of the things I've been recommending people lately too is look at who you follow on social media, on Twitter or Instagram. And is it a diverse group of people that you're exposing yourself to when you're looking into how their families operate or what they believe? And maybe reconsider those people that are speaking into your life some. Who are you following on Twitter? Can you diversify those you follow? It's not hard. There are a lot of great speakers out there, a lot of Christian men and women that are influencers on these social media platforms that span uh, the gamut of racial backgrounds. And it's great to expose yourself to people outside your stream, to people that are inside your stream, but look different than you. This is, 
a great opportunity for us to say, let's let's learn from one another. I like the way you put that because I, maybe my challenge would be for to those who get a little defensive, you know, and your first impulse is to go, why not? Why, well, what about white, you know, white history? Why don't we just is is instead of maybe taking the first defensive Im- impulses to go is to view it as an opportunity to learn more, right? To view it as an uh, opportunity. And you keep using that word. And I think it's just so important. It's like, man, go learn more about your city, you yeah. know, which includes the history of people who aren't like you, you know, go, go learn more about, you talk about great books. It's like, if you're interested in intellectual history, there are contributions from all kinds of different people and, and I'm talking Americans, right? So yep. just American history, like there's so much you can read and discover and it's, it's really quite incredible, you know? Yep. And I promise you, if you keep up with the local news, wherever you live, there will be aspects of race that will constantly be part of local news. And so keeping up with what's happening in your city is an important aspect as well of saying, how do we address disparities that still exist, our disadvantages or systemic racism that still exists where we live, and don't just make it an educational opportunity for, oh, isn't that a neat idea, but say, how do I be part of the reconciling work of the gospel between people groups that have been historically or presently divided because we don't understand or because we don't because there is hate or because there is prejudice. And so part of overcoming prejudice is recognizing my own need to walk in humility and to be a listener. And so starting by learning and exposing myself to other people's uh, thoughts and ideas, that's what I want to do. All right, one of the biggest news stories of the day, something that you absolutely can't miss if you turn on the news right now because it's international news. It's affecting people everywhere. You'll see pictures of people wearing masks as they get on and off planes or just in particularly in China, wearing them as they go about their business. And that is the news about the coronavirus. Adam, can you tell us, just summarize a little bit about what is going on with the coronavirus? Yeah, so um, it it. It looks like sort of late 2019. Um, it could be a little before that, but um, late 2019, uh, and then really taking off in the beginning of 2020, we see a new virus uh, sort of hit the scene. If you want to, if you want to use language like that, and really what it is is you have um, a a the coronavirus is a family of viruses that uh, SARS came from. I don't know if you remember sure. that one a few years ago. And then I, I think in 2012, there was one called the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome called MERS that also came from this same family of viruses. Well, there's a new one, a new strain, you might say. Uh, and what's interesting about these viruses in particular is that they jump from animals to to humans, right? So some viruses are just passed between you and I, and that's they mutate and yeah. and it's just you know it's just human to human. And uh, what's what's interesting about these is they're they're viruses that at first are just affecting animals, and then somehow they mutate and they're able to be communicable to a, a, to a person. Um, it's part of what makes them a little bit mysterious too to us, mm. right? Um, and so this latest version is the the technical term is called SARS. CoV-2, I think is, is, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but that's it. So um, that's the official name. And what you've had is more and more and more people getting sick, starting in China, but now it's spread pretty much all over the world for a lot of reasons. One is in, is that we're a, you know, a globalized world now, travel, yeah. everything else. Uh, and it seems to be respiratory mainly. It's causing coughing and uh, uh, difficulty breathing and... Um, 
what's, you know, what's, it's looking like it's going to be the next epidemic. I, you know, it's hard to say yeah. right now, but you have deaths skyrocketing. We're at 1300-ish, uh, 1,370 deaths. You have 60,000 confirmed cases in 28 countries. And the death rate, what's scary about it is on February 12th, which as we're recording is only yesterday for us, was the highest day. Deaths jumped by over 100% uh, up to 253 deaths in one day. And before that, it was tracking under 100. And so they're, yeah, it's just starting to get a little more scary in terms of yeah. of uh, predicting just what the impact might be. Yeah, thank you, Adam. It, what's scary about these things, there's a couple things. One, this is scary. A lot of people are getting sick. There's something else scary about it in my own heart that honestly, sometimes I think, oh, it's far away. Mm -hmm. And there's something sinful in my heart that thinks as long as it doesn't direct directly impact me, I don't have to worry about it. And really, that would be running to sin anyway. But I think I, I don't have to think about it. It's not my family. It's not my church. It's not my city. It's not my people. China, that's that's far away. And those are some other people that I don't have to look at. And so I recognize that kind of uh, geographic prejudice in my own heart that recognizes if it doesn't directly affect me, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't uh, emotionally impact me. But that may not be the case for some other people. What happens right now is another sinful response is a run to control and a run to worry and a run to anxiety. Elizabeth, have you heard any of these responses from people? Or do you see this? Or can you speak to why somebody might be anxious about a disease like this happening in China? And what, what would you say to somebody that's struggling with anxiety in light of what we believe about God? I mean, I think it's for it's normal for someone to be able to experience anxiety or worry for the situation because you see such a massive outbreak in one area and know that even though we're far away, we're still connected. Yep. And so we in America have had our own outbreaks of different things, not at this level, but you can see how quickly things can spread. And when people start dying, we start to get afraid really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to not minimize our fear. You know, God is in control and he knows all things and keeps all things well. But I think that doesn't minimize um, the level of fear we feel because we're out of control. And so to just have the discipline to put those things before the Lord, there are things that we can do, um, whether it's just prayer, whether it is teaming up with different agencies and organizations to provide assistance and help um, in these kind of situations. I think being active and present in assisting brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God who live hundreds of, I don't even know how many miles away. Mm -hmm. um, and so knowing that the Lord has given us ability to make a difference, but we do have a limit and that we have to just trust the Lord. And that's that's the tension, my favorite, not favorite word yeah. um, for Christianity that we sit in is that God is in control, that you do what he has put in our hands to do, which is to help, which is to pray, to be a support, either near or far. But at some point we have to trust that God is going to take care of it in his own way. Yeah. It is different. And one of the things, Adam, you brought up is how transportation changes things like this, that now any epidemic anywhere can be transmitted or transported somewhere else almost instantly by flight and by train and by boat. And so it's not, uh, it's, it's not like we have a, um, a cordoned off and quarantined nation of a billion people in East Asia. What you have is the possibility that, yeah, it literally, there's, there's a, over a dozen cases of confirmed coronavirus in Texas already in the state that we live in. Now, there are millions of people here, so it may not seem like many as a dozen, but and doesn't as not that many considering how many people there are. But at the same time, these diseases, 
We live in a global economy and a, a global market that means these things travel very quickly. But what I don't want to get caught in there and what I don't want to, people to hear me say is like, hey, because it could be here any day, that's why we should be concerned, but rather because there are men and women who are human beings created in the image of God who right now are suffering and our churches should be answering the question, what can we do? And it's not just about prevention. We're not just saying like, how do we keep the dirty people away? That is what human history has done time and time again, is said, how do we cordon off those untouchables? But rather, like we see Christ do, how do we enter into life with those who have been, even those who have been rejected, even those who have been diagnosed, even those who are currently suffering and may not make it? And how are we the church of Jesus Christ to them? Because we believe the only hope in the darkness is Jesus Christ. All of us will one day die. It does not matter how we will die. It will happen. And so the hope that we have in the gospel means even in the midst of the even in the midst of disease, we still have hope. That's right. And I, I think you see that in the history of Christians and how they have responded to epidemics. And so if you notice that you know most hospitals you pass by are going to have some Christian name associated with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you look at I, I remember reading a book about the plagues and I cannot remember the title right now, but I remember one section specifically many of them and many of the plagues that swept in modern time, more modern times, Christians were always some of the first to respond and put themselves in harm's way, even to the point where uh, uh, I remember reading about certain priests who would go and live amongst leper colonies, right? Uh, and one, this one priest eventually died himself from leprosy, but he spent his time caring for, living with people who were really sick and um, taking care of them, and not just taking care of them, but showing them that there was life even amongst illness and things like that. I think, you know, part of the reason I think people get so scared is because we hear about, we hear words like epidemic mm-hmm. and we attach movies like Outbreak and these things where it's like the whole world shuts down. And now I don't want to underplay the impact of of these viruses and these diseases, but there is a sense of normalizing words like epidemic a little bit. Like we've been in a flu epidemic for years and years now, you know, thousands and thousands, I think it's 25,000 people died from the flu last year or something like that. Really? Yeah. And so, um, I, I don't have the exact numbers. I think that's right. But yeah, 25,000 deaths and 25 million illnesses. So if you think about that, that 25 million people got the flu last year and 25,000 died, you know, that's an epidemic, right? And it, again, I, I don't want to discount the impact that that's had, but I think to I think when we panic, right, and we have a tendency to sort of do the panic thing, uh, that's when it can get really strange. That's what I would say. You know what I mean? That's that's when I feel like it gets really strange is when you start to, yeah, or you see the worst in humanity come out is the better way to say it. So you keep people in a ship off the coast for months on end rather than letting them dock and take care of them. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And and I, I feel like we always sort of look back at those things and go, oh, yeah, we overreacted. Do you, I always get that sense, you know, like even when the Ebola thing happened and we had people here who were at our hospitals who were getting sick and we had some Ebola. I, I remember people being like, don't send your kids to school. Like I remember that being... Yeah. Kind of, and afterwards going like, eh, that was an overreaction. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it was localized around these a couple hospitals where there's cases. And so I, I think what I'm trying to say is like, no, yes, fear is real. Don't don't be unwise and those kind of things. But I also think that if you're given to panic and given to a, 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 an, an incongruent anxiety about it, then you're probably you're you, yeah you're just 
you're probably in the wrong. You yeah, know, you bring up some interesting points. Uh, when Ebola came to America, it came to the apartment complex right across the street from where my church meets. Yep. Like, so it's very convenient to be somewhere else and say, hey, care for those people. Why mm-hmm. aren't we having compassion? Mm-hmm. And I know it's very difficult when somebody right next to you has a disease that if you catch, you'll, you may pass away or yep. that you may be part of spreading a contagion. And so I don't want to forget that it is hard to be a first responder or to be a nurse or a doctor or to be somebody who responds to these things. And it is okay to be careful. It is okay to be cautious around this, but not if it leads to cowardice and dehumanizing someone. That's right. And at the same time, health is not our God. Mm -mm. My God is not uh, promised me health, nor does he promise uh, that uh, if I, if he, if I really love him, then I will be healthy. No, what does that say to the person who just got diagnosed with cancer that didn't love God enough? Mm. No, adversity is a part of this life, and so is sickness because of the brokenness of the world in sin. And what we believe is the Lord is making all things new and will one day make all things new. And in the meantime, we are called, much as in the story of the Good Samaritan, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, which means if you had the coronavirus, how would you want your church to respond? If you had the coronavirus here in America, how would you want the Church of China to respond? And maybe that's not a good example because it's an underground church, but how would you want somebody around the world to think and serve you? Would you just want them to to sigh relief and say, thank God it wasn't me? Or would you want them to engage and say, what can we do? How can we be praying? How can we be engaging? As much as the problem may feel far away, it does not mean that the Christian church has no response in America to something like this going on. All right, our last topic of the day, and this is a little bit of a lighter issue. We'll end on a lighter issue, thank God, that not everything in our world is always heavy all the time and the worst thing ever, but there are some really interesting things going on in the world of technology and consumerism. Uh, Elizabeth, let me ask you this. I'm not going to ask you how old you are or what year you graduated high school okay. or what anything like that or when you first Keep got a credit card. Keep naming things you're not going to ask I'm not going to ask any of that. <laughs> okay. But is there... <laughs> I was like, oh, this would be fun. Do you, here's, here's a list of things I don't want to ask you. Has shopping changed for you since you were younger? Yes. Well, how, how has shopping changed for you? I can go on Amazon and buy something and it's on my doorstep the next day Ooh. or... I have the potential. I've never actually tried it. I can buy something and it's on my doorstep that same day. Oh, yeah. I've done that. You don't have that. to wait for stuff anymore. Like, it's just, why go to the mall? It's just, it's changed completely. Oh, yeah. I've used uh, Prime Now, which is like the, in Dallas, I can get things delivered within two hours for a little extra cost. Like, if uh, for instance, it's not just out of like some kind of crazy bougie convenience. I was sick and no one was home. We're all out of NyQuil. I'm going to prime now some NyQuil. Wow. Because I can't leave the house. I'm feeling sick. And for the consideration of my fellow man, I prime now some NyQuil to my doorstep and it's there in two hours. It was awesome. I loved it. Now, Did they just like show up and like hand you the bottle of NyQuil? No, it's just like you would for any other Amazon delivery. They drop it on the porch and ring the doorbell, walk away, and then I walk out there and there's my NyQuil. But you could also do, nowadays you can do like favor app. Yeah. You can do things like that where you just, right now, somebody can go do something for me. I can hire help for anything I want. You know, come scratch my back. I don't know if they do that, but somebody <laughs> go get me some food. Somebody go get me something I want. Adam, has shopping changed for you at all since you were a child? How about since you've had children? Did you guys, you and Heather, did you guys go shopping for Christmas gifts and now you do it online? I feel like Chelsea and I are increasingly doing things like that. Yeah, especially because I think their ages too make it super hard to like, well, one, I don't want to have to pay a babysitter so that I can go out and shop for them, right? If Heather and I were going to go together. Or two, um, if to take them all to like a mall when it's busy, just feels like nightmare. Uh, yeah, well, it just seems yeah unnecessary. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, and also the ease of finding things, you know, there's an ease and a convenience to it all, especially if you know a little bit about what, I would say if you, if you know a little bit about what you want, it's super easy to go and find it very quickly. If you don't know what you want, there's a million places to go and sort of browse without having to walk yeah. around everywhere, you know? Well, that's what's interesting too, places that used to... Uh, like brick and mortar stores, yeah. you hear about all the time them closing down. Mm-hmm. I just heard Pottery Barn is closing some like fifty percent of their stores. Wow! Yeah, because uh, like the catalog's big, people will go to the store and see what they want, and, and then, then go home it and order online. it online. I wonder if one day we're just going to be like gelatinous blobs with tubes hooked to us, and mm. we just look at a screen and we're like input Coca Cola. <laughs> I really don't like this. And then design. like you know, <laughs> you will be that. Yeah, <laughs> gelatinous blobs. <laughs> well, but you're thinking of. The the plot of Wally, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a lot like that. Yeah, but it is funny. Like, how does this technology and consumerism change us? We are so tied now to convenience that any inconvenience seems uh, extreme, mm-hmm. uh, unbelievable. How long I had to wait for something, or how long it took me to cross the country. Where, like, I, literally 150 years ago, do you know how long it takes you to get from San Francisco to New York City? Probably a long Forever. time. Forever, and you probably die of cholera along the way. <laughs> That's if you right. Take the Oregon Trail. Yeah, but, uh, and you didn't have a. You couldn't play Oregon Trail on your phone while actually being on the Oregon Trail, about? right? Yes, yes. <laughs> you know what's funny? Like your meaning phone, it was boring. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, phones these days, even. I mean, what used to be a phone twenty years ago, a phone was thinking you the thing you made phone calls on. Yeah, it now, was connected to a cord and to it, a wall yes. at your house. Yes. Now, when we got our first cordless phone, I thought we were living right. Talk about your best life. I was like, you mean I can take this phone into any room in the house and my mom can't overhear me? This is great. Or call waiting when we got call waiting. Oh, it was unbelievable. But now your phone is like a personal device that gives you access to every piece of information the world has to offer. And you can shop on it and you can shop for new ones. And they make themselves obsolete every 12 months or so. But think about that. I I mean, I know it sounds like I'm joking when I talk about the gelatinous blob, but I do think about like if you really wanted to today, like if you wanted to not leave your house before – like let's say 15 years ago or something, there'd be some planning that really have to go into that. You know what I mean? Like you'd have to like have a friend or somebody who would go get, pick up your groceries. At least maybe you could call into the grocery store. I have no idea. And like say, Hey, I want these things for me or whatever. But, but I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be hard to find a delivery service. It's probably like people who, who, you know, specialized companies or something for those kind of things. Now, I think it'd actually be pretty easy to never leave your house. Oh, very easy. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I wonder what impact that's having on people's ability to, one, relate to one another. Like, you watch at the same time that we are becoming more agoraphobic, <laughs> oh, yeah. not wanting to leave our homes and our, our comfort zones. You know, we never are forced to get into pleasant conversations with people, which I, I get, right? It's like, I don't have to do pleasantries anymore, whatever. But as all that starts to happen, at the same time, you're seeing like divide and divisiveness and division also increase. It's just like, it seems to be taking off at the same time. Well, and part you know? of it's because of our obsession with convenience. People become the inconvenience. Mm-hmm. Like, in the more people I have to interact with, the more I don't get what I want. And one of my favorite new technological advances is the ability to shop for our groceries online and go pick them up in the parking lot. I don't know if you guys have done that, but we do the Walmart pickup, yeah. where I can keep my kids in the car, I pull up, they load in the groceries that I ordered and already paid for, and then we drive away. I don't have to shop through the store and then walk, wait in line to check out. It's it's done. And I schedule a time to go pick it up, and yep. we, we do it like that. 
But it does create this thing where the people in the store get in the way and the line is what gets in the way. And what you start to realize is what I'm describing is people. Yeah. Human beings yeah. are an inconvenience to yeah. me. Yeah. Yep. And therefore, I need more of the me time in order to do what? Get home and, and then binge watch something or or maybe work uh, overtime or uh, maybe spend less time with my family. But maybe it just adds to your life. I mean, not all these things are inherently evil. Yeah. Like having an app that I can order stuff from, I love that. It's great. I mean, I think some of the like some of the costs we don't think about, and just even the environmental costs. So mm-hmm. I do HelloFresh. Yeah. I love HelloFresh. It's just not Tell me saying me about anything it. about HelloFresh. HelloFresh is one of those um, services you can order basically meals that you'll cook. Oh. It's great for a single person because I don't have to buy all this extra stuff that doesn't get used. It's just the right amount. So it's the ingredients. It's come? the ingredients. Okay, but it comes in this packaging. And some of it's not a sponsor, but should be after this. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and some of it's recyclable. It comes in a cardboard box. But I think about all the Amazon deliveries I get. Yeah, all those how, boxes, all those boxes I know, and man. bags, and some of them are recyclable and some of them aren't. And so, what's the cost of our convenience? Yeah. Or just who's working so that I can get this tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. how is that happening? And so some of the hidden costs we're not thinking about for our it's convenience. Good. Yeah, that's a great point. There's apps out there that are cool and they don't they never last long, but they kind of play on this idea in correcting. I remember Heather, my wife, that's my wife. Uh, she downloaded a this app. And instead of like, I think it was instead of sending a text to somebody, you would send the text, it would go to this pool, and then you could pick it up and deliver it face to face. So like, if you're in the area, it would like kind of geolocate you. And so let's say you wanted to send a text to Elizabeth, and it knows where she is, and I'm nearby. I would actually be like, I'll deliver it. And I would go to her and be like, hey, Adam wanted you to know this. And it was like a way yes. that people met each other and all this kind of stuff. And the idea was like it played on the idea of, well, in texting, you never have to be face to face. What mm-hmm. if we made it so that you could be face to face, but it would be with a stranger and it would create community <laughs> and all these kind of things. Or yeah. like a favor app. Like, I wonder if you just put it out there like, I need chicken soup. And then like, you know, <laughs> I saw that you. and I brought it to you, but it wasn't about money. It was more about yeah. like, I guess that's dangerous. That's probably super dangerous, but I don't know. You just want to put random requests out there. Anybody to bring me, Adam. I'm not a part of it. Yeah, this. I don't know what world you live in, but I keep my door locked. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, even, but think about that. It's like, you know, I even think about sermons that are like 10 years old would be like, and the person who checks you out in the grocery line, you need to get to know them and your yeah. barista and all this stuff. And it's like, man, in five years, that's not a thing anymore. Well, even It's about, not even going to be a thing because you just order them or the guy brings it to you, just puts it in the back of your car, you know? Think about sermons. I mean, in the last 20 years, we've gone from, if it gets preached on Sunday, it got preached on, if you missed that Sunday, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Now I hear from my people all the time, like, hey, I missed Sunday. I was listening this morning to what you said. Here's what I think. Mm-hmm. And there's, Technology has created a convenience that can be used for something yes. oh, yeah. really, really great. Or I think about my Kindle. I love a Kindle. If we could do like an hour long about why the Kindle is great, I would do it. Yeah. Because, but one of the things I love about the Kindle is when I want a book and somebody tells me there's a good book, it takes me about three hits of a button and I now have the book in my hands. I don't even have to get it delivered because of the digital revolution mm. that says I don't have to go to a CD store to buy the music. I can search on a subscription I probably already have access to, and I can get that music right now. Somebody texted me this morning and asked me if I listened to Flame's new album, and I was like, no, but I bet I I probably have it because I have an Amazon Music subscription, so I'll just listen to it now. Thank you. And that's the convenience that we have now that it's not just about saving time. It's about exposure to new ideas sometimes, but it's also about the convenience that leads to more time to do what maybe the Lord has called me to. But 
it also leads to something else we can talk about more is subscription fatigue is like, hey, do you have Amazon Prime and you've got your Netflix account and you've got your Disney Plus and you've got HelloFresh and you've got this other one that dresses you and this one that, you know, brings your medication on like a subscription. And you start to go, okay, how many of my bills are just because I said one time, bring this to me every month. And you start to stack up the convenience fees and you start to think, am I really stewarding what the Lord has given me well? Not to mention, are we really made to exist that way? Like, I wonder, like, it's so dislocated, like, um, like, you know, and now it's so funny because it sounds so snobby, but it's like, man, there was something really wonderful about going to the CD store and digging through. Oh, so yeah. I don't like digitized books because I still love the tangible feel and smell and going into the store and looking. And now the stores are basically gone, but I, you know, there's some I'll find that I really like. And you get to know the person in there and they might be like, they know what kind of books you like. And they're like, Hey, have you checked this out yet? Mm -hmm. And these kind of things, there was a whole sub community that existed around all of those kind of things, a sub genre. I don't know. Like a, I don't know. It was like a cool thing that happened. And now it's like, Oh, you know, maybe you go on Reddit and do some of those same things, but it's all just dislocated from everything. But similar you know? to what you're talking about, it also disrupts industries. So like a bookstore industry is very different now, or even mm-hmm. grocery stores are different. Or I've heard you talk about uh, 3D printing and how 3D printing can disrupt kind of a global trade industry, right? Yeah, yeah. I watched a, um, I watched something on the news the other day that talked about how we are in the middle of a fourth industrial revolution. And it basically talked about how uh, the, the world of trade, um, meaning our trade agreements, our treaties, all these things are kind of based on the idea that manufacturing is a globalized endeavor. So to make your car, right, you've got to get a component from that's made in China, a component that's made in Latin America, and a component that's made in Europe. And they all ship them here. And so you have shipping industries, you have uh, uh, you have um, factories, you have all these kind of things that are built up all around the world just to support making your car, right? Now with the invention of 3D printing, which is becoming more and more prevalent and being used a lot more, they can just print all those components from scratch, uh, right there in one place. And uh, so it, th- the, the idea is that we're about to see a revolution in what it looks like to what, what this whole trade network looks like now. It might become another thing that's really um, sort of atomized, you know, uh, and what effects that might have, people don't really know yet. So, but it's at the same time, just like we're talking about with all these technologies, at the same time, it's incredible. They're going to be able to, I watched on the same thing, it showed they can print using biomaterials, uh, 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 heart valves and arteries and ears Ooh. and all these kind of things. And it's like, man, we're, that's incredible. And that's yeah. going to be an incredible thing for people. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah. like, the, the, but you gotta, you're both always weighing, both you're yeah. weighing it and going, what is this? And we've seen that over and over again, actually, in the history of our country is when this job, when this technology comes along and eliminates all these jobs, you also see it maybe create some new jobs that yep. we didn't have before. And you see that kind of stuff all the time. So fascinating. Honestly, we could probably spend a lot more time talking about technology and consumerism. Thanks for the thoughts about Black History Month. Thanks for the thoughts about coronavirus. And thanks for the thoughts about consumerism. Certainly, we live in an interesting culture. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com. 
culturematters. Thanks and God bless.